0: Love, talk Radio. Hey everyone,
1: and welcome to another episode of Syracuse Sports Make Me Drink here in the tri Nunes and Absolute Magician Podcast Network. As always, I'm your host, John Casillo, and uh, who do we have on the line today? I'm here.
2: Hey, hey, Sean actually made it. Sean
1: made it. Yay!
2: It's been a while, Sean.
1: I know. What's going on? Too much. I am running on zero sleep because I just got back from Dallas this morning and went right into work. Awesome. Looking forward to hearing about it. Yeah. Uh, fun times down there. The Metroplex is much bigger than you think it is.
2: Well, I've been told everything is bigger in Texas, so I suppose that would fit.
3: <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. So I guess we'll... We'll dive into last night's game, and I don't really want to talk about it much. I think, you know, we all had plenty to say about it on Twitter last night. It was a pretty solid, uh, strand of Syracuse related bitching for a good, like, hour after, uh, things wrapped up. I had my, uh, hot sports cake today. Uh, so, Sean, what is your, uh, what is your general feel on? Is this something that, as Syracuse fans, we can brush off, or is is UConn winning a fourth title really, like, kind of a threat to, you know, like where we stand as a program.
2: I I mean, it's hard not to compare the two programs, uh, you know, just because of the whole Big East rivalry and and all that, and the whole Bayheim Calhoun thing. Um, but I mean, it's always been ever since Calhoun won that third title. You know, he he automatically wins any argument between in the Calhoun Calhoun Bayheim discussion. And now that they're winning national titles without him, it's you know I I haven't checked. I actually thought about doing a Twitter search, but I would imagine there was quite a few people out there wondering why the ACC took Syracuse over UConn at, at last night, and if their women's team wins the uh, title tonight, uh, which we don't know yet whether or not they will. Um, you know that that's a pretty impressive resume and. I actually wouldn't be surprised if people within the ACC are kind of wondering whether or not they should bring in UConn at this point. Maybe that's a a bigger discussion. But um, yeah, I mean, it's like I said, it's hard. As Syracuse fans, we hear so much about Beheim and the whole one-title thing, and um, you know, especially a year like this where we didn't get as far as we expected to go. um, Yeah, it's. I think there is something there, and it's kind of a bitter pill to swallow for us.
3: And what do you get? I don't know. I'm not as worried as a series from a Syracuse perspective. Obviously, you know, this just kind of extends the the uh you know what they can say to us about championships and, and whatnot. Um I think it was more of a kind of a life raft for UConn because they were in a very questionable posi- uh questionable position going into this year. Um Kevin Ollie really was, uh you know, he hadn't been given the support he probably deserved right off the bat. I mean, they didn't sign him to a long-term contract right away. He was basically an interim coach last year. Um, you know, no one really expected much from UConn this year, and they're stuck in the American, which is only going to get worse. I mean, they lose Louisville. They gain t- Tulsa, which I guess okay. Tulane, who, I, you know, I guess we played them in basketball a couple years ago, and if, if I didn't see that game, I wouldn't even know anything about the basketball program. And then uh, an ECU who, again, like i probably never seen them play a game. Um, so I don't know what, what that league is doing, and UConn doesn't seem to really have an out. Um, this championship keeps them in the discussion, I think, because if there is another round of expansion from the Big, the big Ten or the ACC, I mean, who else are they going to take now? Like, UConn has to be up next, unless, like, Cincinnati can sneak by them. But uh, I think this just helps. UConn's resume stays, you know, fresh in people's minds, and if one of those two leagues becomes, um, you know, gets the itch to add another team, I think UConn has to be it at this point. Um, the thing is that I don't know when that's going to happen. The Big Ten would have to add two teams, uh, and I don't know who the second would be. Um, there's no real obvious choice unless they poach the ACC, which wouldn't be good. Uh, the ACC is not going to close the door on Notre Dame. Uh, from a football perspective, so adding one team is a non-starter, um, or and and they're not that to add two, so it's really like waiting to see what Notre Dame does, or, or they're just they're pretty content where where they are unless they lose a team. So I don't know. I, I think you know it's good for UConn obviously as a program. Um, it's surprising, uh, but they really kind of prove that you just need to you know one star player and then do the fundamental things well, and you can outlast a lot of teams. I mean they've shot 87. points eight, I think, percent from the free throw line in this tournament, which is amazing. I think it's a tournament record. Um, and, you know, it keeps them relevant because they really, uh, even with the three titles, I think they were in uh, real danger of slipping out of the national consciousness and becoming like San Francisco or one of those other teams that has multiple national titles, but they're just not really a, a thing now. And in like 20 years, maybe that could have been UConn, but this should at least keep them in the spotlight as an elite program, which, you know, they really needed considering everything else that's going on there. Yeah, yeah I, I, I mean, a I,
2: go for it, Chat. I, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole, but I just had a question for you guys. Do you think the Big Ten is kind of kicking themselves right now for taking Rutgers over UConn? Um,
3: they should. <laughs> they, I don't know if they are, but they absolutely should be. <laughs> um, I'm not a UConn fan by any means anymore. I used to be because I grew up here. Uh, and I live here now, which has been really frustrating this last couple weeks. Um, But there is no doubt that UConn is better in every respect than Rutgers. Like, even though UConn's football program sucks now, they've still done more since they came up to D1 than Rutgers has. Um, Maybe they just haven't been twice consistent with getting, like, six wins, but UConn definitely made a BCS bowl and done some other things. They made a disastrous hire with Pasteloni, but they've Seem to have rectified it um, with this past hire, and and you know they're nothing great in football, but they're not any worse than Rutgers is. And, and then in every other sport, at least UConn wins things across the board. Rutgers hasn't won anything, so I, I don't know. I get that Rutgers is in the New, the New Jersey market probably a little better than the Connecticut one, although I think like the Hartford New Haven uh, is like the thirtieth biggest in the country, so it's nothing really to scoff at. Um, they're about. You know, Rutgers are a little bit closer to New York City, but it's not, you know, they're not in New York City. So, I don't know. I, I think UConn's a much more attractive program, and and it just makes more sense. Why wouldn't you bring in the team that has four national championships in one major sport and completely dominates the other, another not a major sport, but another sport that has, you know, airtime and ESPN and everything, but instead they went with the cable boxes in, you know, Paramus. So, good for them. Well, I think that they just believe the hype too much.
1: I mean, Rutgers Rutgers did, you know, mimic uh, Daryl Gross in many ways in the fact that if you position yourself in a certain way and tell everyone that something is true, in this case for both programs, you know, own the New York market, someone's going to believe it, and this time the chump was Jim Delaney. Um, I think that, again, like without going down the rabbit hole, like football drives results, yes. But You can't tell me that Rutgers or UConn football really uh, moved the needle. And to be honest, and we've talked about this, I think, over the summer, Dan, the, the big thing that we said was at the end of the day, like, football results are great and football teams doing well are great, but if you're the Big Ten, certain schools are the ones that have to do great. If you're the ACC, certain schools are the ones that have to do great. So the Big Ten was never going to be buoyed by Maryland and Rutgers doing well in football, where they could potentially lose ground now in the quote-unquote expansion battle with the ACC is, you know, the ACC has Notre Dame-Pitt, Syracuse-Louisville. Net-net, that's that's a pretty nice game, while, you know, the Big Ten adds a rebuilding Maryland program, a only recently relevant Nebraska program, and and, and a non-existent Rutgers program when they could have had UConn and, and actually, you know, put a stake in the ground is we are the best co- basketball conference in the sport. Um, look, we have Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, Wisconsin, UConn. I mean, that's that's a more impressive lineup than I guess the current state at the top of the ACC in my
3: opinion. Yeah, I agree. It'll be interesting because, again, I don't think there's a real – unless, like, the one thing I get the avenue is, like, the Big Ten trying to go to Kansas and then taking UConn or something like that, and that would be wild. But, I mean, they have to add two teams, and it doesn't seem like anyone's really in a rush to do that all over again after we just had, like, five years of nonstop discussion about it and so many teams moving. So I think eventually UConn kind of will land in a power conference. I don't know how long it will take. And, you know, as a as a Syracuse fan, I kind of hope it's a little while so that they can, you know, get to hang out with Tulane for a while and let that, you know, take take hold and see what happens there. Um, but it just makes too much sense. Like they've 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 built up too much of a pedigree, and also the Rutgers thing looks even worse now that like they cannot do anything right. That that school is such a train wreck. Like between uh, I don't know if you guys saw uh, Julie Herman uh, the other day saying that she like wished the Star Ledger went uh, went under. <laughs> like to a bunch of journalism students, like what are you doing? Most of those kids are probably going to be applying to the Star Ledger like in uh, three weeks. And she's talking about how she wishes she hopes the the biggest newspaper in the area crashes and burns. Okay, that's a good move, especially because Rutgers hasn't had any you know bad publicity recently, so why not throw this on the fire?
2: They're doing great with their hires, I think is the, uh, <laughs> the at, at, on every level in every field they just they're doing fantastic. Did you see that crazy stat? And I know I I apologize. I turned this into a a Rutgers bashing podcast again. It's always a Rutgers bashing podcast. Yeah, there was some stat about how many kids have transferred out of their basketball program in the last five years. I think it was like seventeen.
3: And you know who they're and their running mate now is Maryland, who's losing three major rotation players today.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Oh man, what a train wreck.
3: Those two—they're just succeeding. Those are two – I don't know how those athletic departments they landed on, because they're probably, like, two of the worst-run ma- major conference athletic departments. They're, they're the two that lose the most money. Um, and it's unbelievable if they are the ones who the Big Ten decided to, to bring into the fold and, and give, like – I mean, this is pretty much like a bailout. It's like the – like they're, like, GM to, to the Big Ten's America right now. Well, we said this when it happened, that
1: there are – out of all the expansion moves, there are three that just don't fit. Now, one of them was West Virginia, the Big Twelve, and we said competitively, West Virginia could make it fit. But yeah, the other one. <laughs> well, right. We you look back and realize that they could have had Louisville, and how badly they screwed that up. But the other, obviously, like I was looking over just like you know looking through the schedules today for the 2014 football season, um, and you know it's still awkward to see. Maryland and Rutgers there, and not in the weird way that it was to see Syracuse and Pitt under the ACC header. Like, Maryland and Rutgers are not and never will be Big Ten football teams. And, I mean, I don't have like a real definition of what a Big Ten football team is, but whatever it may be, Rutgers and Maryland will never ever fall under that char- uh, you know characterization. And I think, you know, if, if the grant of rights to the ACC didn't stop expansion, I think an awkward move to add two schools that make no sense um to the school to the conference's footprint other than the fact that they're both land grant institutions. Um I, I think that, that that's a perfect way to
3: pump the brakes on on all the expansion nonsense. especially when you consider that like Penn State doesn't always seem like they fit in the culture of the Big Ten. Like I think it, it now that it's been long enough where it people kind of forget but I mean it wasn't like an easy transition for them because they are still for the most part, an East Coast identified stool. Rutgers in Maryland are so much less less uh, Midwestern than Penn State is even, so it's just going to be really interesting. Um, I'm excited to see the first reports of like the Big Ten fans going to Rutgers Stadium and, and letting us know how they enjoy that because uh, last time I was there, I got you know we clinched a bowl in a really awful game that I barely remember, and uh, a bunch of us got just cursed at the entire way out of the stadium, so that was fun.
1: The well, last time I was in Maryland, uh, we took over the stadium from, the, from kickoff and basically uh, heckled Maryland fans out in the third quarter when we were dominating a low-scoring game. <laughs> then we were called a terrible, awful team on on several uh, Maryland outlets, despite the fact that they were dominated on the line of scrimmage uh, from start to finish. I, I had a really fun weekend, <laughs> and I'd say that the highlight for me was the entirety of the upper deck yelling um, exit fee and $52 million at the departing Maryland fans.
3: <laughs> we don't have a reputation for nothing.
1: <laughs> we do know how to take over arenas. And that's something I think the ACC might have underestimated. Sure,
2: 50- even for a couple of Clemson fans.
3: Well, I'm interested to see. Okay. Uh, I, I want to make it this year, and I'm interested to see how Clemson is in person because everything I've heard about them, like as hosts, is that they're very nice and, and accommodating. But you wouldn't know it based on just the like dearth of a uh, you know general idea of comedy that goes on over there. Like they just have. Uh, I was actually watching the the Patton Oswalt stand up specials that came out the other day last night. And he talked about how like German people just don't understand like humor or like just don't get the <laughs> jokes are happening. And that's how I, I kind of feel like the Clemson are like the German people of the ACC. <laughs> That'll go over well.
1: Can <laughs> <laughs> we put together an article like tomorrow of if ACC teams were actors in World War II, who would be each country?
3: That's I mean that's not what I was going for, but sure. <laughs> Just, just this headline. Clemson is Germany. Uh, Clemson equals
0: Nazis.
3: <laughs> Come comment. <laughs> oh god. But
1: who is that Sean, who's that one guy that writes to uh the asylum all the time and is like written to you and me and just about everybody else? Oh,
2: um yeah, let me see if I can find him. Uh, yeah, it's just one Clemson fan. And I've talked to Brent Axe about him, too, and he said, Brent said that he, uh, he he used to write to him all the time, and then eventually he had to just start ignoring him. But, um, yeah, I mean, I guess all, like, not all, but most of those, like, incensed Clemson fan diatribes uh, that end up there come from this one guy who is just, like, super, uh, focused and like, hyper-focused on, uh, Syracuse knowing its place, and uh, and how dare we, uh, you know, speak out of turn.
3: I wonder if he goes to, like, all the ACC local papers and does that. Like, is he on the, like, Atlanta Journal and Constitution website and, like, talking about him? Like, like, who does that? Who goes on other cities' local newspaper sites and, and yells at them when they have nothing to do with that town? Like, who I don't I mean, want I... to spend the time reading, like, the Greenville Press or whatever is nearby in Clemson, like, I have way better things to do. I pray he shows up on, like, FSU Twitter occasionally.
1: <laughs> because the public shaming that, that would that would ensue within seconds would be something to behold. FSU Twitter is one of my favorite, like, corners of the Internet. Yeah, I,
2: somebody said to me the other day that they, they thought Florida State fans were the, the worst ones we've met. And I was like, what are you talking about? I thought they were great. I mean, yeah, they, they beat us up, and they knew they were going to, and I'd love to beat them, but they were very, for the most part, pretty cool about it, you know, the whole thing. They, they kind of, there was a, a common sense or, you know, a, a reality to them that they could have fun with it and not turn it into this whole, like, we're so much better than you thing.
1: Well, they're incredibly knowledgeable, and, and I think that's what I I really enjoy about them, Um especially, and I know, like, the three of us here are, are very football-focused, not that we don't like basketball, but we're also very football-focused, and to see, you know, fans come into a Syracuse blog and say, hey, we want to know things about this football team, to me, like, that that automatically is an olive branch that I'm very willing to take, even if your team is going to destroy us on the field. I'm like, I want to have a genuine conversation, you know, what? like, they have a sense of humor, like, they have the same weird obsessions with certain, elements, like, uniform elements that we do, like, if anyone's been following the uh, the way Nike's been changing elements of the helmet and the seminal logo um, and, and the uniforms that are upcoming, like you know they've they've been freaking out um, like at, at three or four times the volume that, that that we've been kind of talking about our upcoming uniform changes.
3: Yeah, it is a little weird that they're gonna change it like the year after they won a national title, but you know whatever. I'm not too worried about it. The I'm sure they'll adjust, although the new Seminole is kind of, like, off-putting, I think, just because it's I've been over oh, to the, the the normal one. Somebody said he is looked that, like a greaser
1: with face paint on. <laughs> Which,
3: is that bacon face? <laughs> <laughs> All just have like, how defined his, like, jawline is is just weird. Like, they just added, they made it so, like, detailed, but the details are just kind of strange to see on like a, what's supposed to be a caricature.
1: It's enough about other teams as well, just about um, touch base on Dallas, then we do a little beer talk. Um, so, yeah, Dallas was fun. It wasn't as fun as I originally thought. For those who uh, did not know, I decided to try and hedge my best to work, and uh, one of my main clients is AT&T. Uh, they were a pretty big sponsor of the event. They are the naming sponsor on AT&T Stadium with the Cowboys play. So I tried to hedge my best. figured, this was a pretty special Syracuse regular season. Let's see if I can find my way to Dallas. And obviously things blew up in my face pretty quickly. So then I was supposed to be in Dallas during what could... Only be described as one of the worst possible Final Fours from a Syracuse fan perspective. And while well, I had a good time, I got to meet, uh, Doug McDermott, uh, I didn't meet Jabari Parker, I met Russ Smith, met Roy Williams, who is actually a pretty nice guy, a bunch of other people, but, uh, sadly, no Behind, though I know he was in Dallas. But I was around a lot yeah. of media related things, and, uh, obviously Jim hates the media.
3: I think my favorite Bayheim and Dallas thing was that I noticed a branch of Twitter that wasn't like Syracuse focused discovered Julie Beheim and were so confused.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> as, as many people tend to be when they realize what's happening. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Did anyone else notice? And I pointed this out on Twitter during the, the, the final game that, A, they talked about the zone for a good hour straight. And not only did they not mention Syracuse' origin, Bayheim, but they all the answers also displayed a complete lack of understanding about what the zone was and could do.
2: I'm going to be totally honest with you. I didn't even watch the game. Uh, I just couldn't. But I heard that. Uh, uh, yeah, I heard that there was a lot of zone talk and uh, and all that. But nary a mention of us, which is so weird because that seems like such a obvious thing. You know, when we're playing, uh, you know, you just say the word zone and people think of Beheim at Syracuse. So
3: that is kind of weird. Yeah, I think it was when Kentucky went into a zone, and that's like when they made their their run in the middle of the second half. Um, they kind of confused UConn a bit, um, but yeah, it was it was a little strange, especially because Beheim was there. Like I was surprised we didn't get the you know the plastic pan over. Oh, Jim Beheim runs the zone all the time. Um, but yeah, it was really focused on you know everyone else doing it, or like the general trend, and you'd think that we would be a part of that considering that we were first or most prominent at least. And
1: considering how much the zone has been incorporated into a lot of ACC defenses this year, I would think that, yes, this this would be a perfect, you know, if if you're not to hate on CVX too much, but if you're a quality analyst, this is a perfect way to call back things that happened during the regular season and trends that you may have noticed if you would actually watch the games. So saying that, well, you know, Syracuse came in and like Louisville runs a partial zone, like bringing in those elements would have been, instead they sat there and went, you know, like, you know, this is the danger with the zone. Kentucky's going to go into a zone and UConn, like, and they're going to dare UConn shooters to shoot. Like, well, if the shooters shoot, it doesn't do anything to the zone. You need to be able to drop. You need to be able to hammer it home in the paint. Utilize a drive and kick strategy. We saw beat us time and time again um, closer to the end of the year. And I, I don't know. I guess I just I was around a bunch of other Syracuse fans. Uh, mostly my wife who tunes me out during these rants. But not under, to me. Seeing analysts who are paid to do this quite handsomely not make, like, make such a lazy sort of, you know, a, a lazy sort of a piece of analysis instead of actually diving into what the zone means and how it's going to affect UConn, especially when you have so much film and reference pointing for UConn facing, you know, Louisville, again, who runs the partial zone, and us who, I mean, especially for the last few years, ran 100% zone. Uh, I would just think it was a real missed opportunity there for the broadcast.
2: I mean it kind of reminds me that most of, whenever you're you're talking about a broadcast that's on this level, they're always going to be playing to the the widest audience, and so they're they're not going to be queued up to you know to talk about the intricacies and all that stuff. It's going to be more about narratives and storylines and all that stuff. so it doesn't surprise me that they really, really wasn't about x's and O's. it's kind of like uh you know that stuff they they just assume either you you know it or you don't care.
3: That, that that's that's that fair, <laughs> <laughs> especially 'cause it it didn't help that we were out of the tournament so quickly, like we kind of became an afterthought this season, and had we made a run to like the like last year, people couldn't stop talking about our zone. It was like a rule where every every time a broadcast happened, someone had to talk about how the Syracuse Zone was just like this freakish thing that destroyed Indiana and Marquette, so I guess this year you know we weren't very relevant in the last you know two weekends, so we weren't, you know, top of people's minds, even with something that says, you know, ubiquitous as the Syracuse zone talking point.
1: Well, and that's why we were completely, well, just about left out of the one shining moment. I honestly, I thought we were going to get shut out of it, and, and I was almost okay with it, because I felt that, but then again, I also sat there and like, you know what, like, given how, how much of a storyline we were for so long this season, to only be, like, a footnote in one shining moment just kills me. I thought it
3: was going to be the Dayton highlights that we were in, and I, our only thing was Jeremy putting up that dunk against uh, Western Michigan. So I'd rather have that than, like, have, watch Dayton beat us again. Right.
2: Well, doesn't that kind of lead to um, that, you know, the piece you wrote today, John, about, you know, the NCAA tournament and – the value of the regular season versus the tournament and all that that and and I think it speaks to this season about just what kind of a weird uh whole season it was where there there wasn't, you know, that those dominant teams or that dominant storyline that we did become an afterthought that you know even despite the fact that we were number 1 in the country and had the 25 and 0 and all that stuff, you know, by the time it got to the tournament, I think everyone had um you know, basically forgotten about us, forgotten about all that and written us off. And then when we played right into that, you know, storyline by losing in the first weekend, then, uh, yeah, I mean, then that that pretty much takes us off the the radar.
1: I mean, that's what killed me about this season. I mean, I, there's different ways to look at it. Um, I know Mike Rutherford over on uh, SD Nation really kind of summed it up well that in a wacky season that really – <laughs> Excuse me. Never made sense. UConn winning sort of did make sense and was a sitting closer. But to me, I mean, part of, part of it is my hatred for UConn. But but the other part of it is just in general, like why was this that the close that made sense? Like to me, I thought it was a fairly cut and dry season. Like Louisville obviously had some issues, but was still a uh you know tournament title contender. And Florida dominated pretty much end to end once they were healthy. So to me, Florida Louisville was the only conclusion of this season that made any sense, and and to see an entire season, and you know, th- there's been a lot of debate about this on the site already. Like to see the entire season devalued by a seven seed and an eight seed going up against each other in a championship game, I, it was disappointing to me as a college basketball fan. And that's when I, I mean, that's why I wrote the article. Cause I was, just became so hyper focused on this. This isn't what the tournament was about those upsets happen in the early rounds and then everything shakes out and the top, you know, 10 to 12 seeds or so, one of those teams is going to win it all. And Dan, I know you and me and Matt talked about it like months ago about, you know, this was the first year that there might've been 16 to 20 teams could win it all. And I'm not sure that
3: Kentucky or UConn was even on any of our lists. Probably not the point that we talked about it. Um, Kentucky didn't surprise me as much because they played really well in the SEC tournament and could have very easily beaten Florida. Um, and they were, like, it wasn't like they just showed up in, in, in you know, the NCAAs and started flipping. Like, they had gotten it going. Um, really, in the SEC tournament is exactly what happened. UConn surprised me a bit more. But, again, like, watching them just execute down the stretch um, and, and hit free throws the way they do. And then Napier just is incredible. Um Obviously, the seedings are one thing, and that's bothersome, but, like, these two teams, you know, UConn could have easily been a six. You could have uh, given – I think Kentucky really got screwed with their seedings. Like, they were so hot at the end of the season, and we've seen teams like like 2011 UConn, who was mediocre all year and got hot in the Big East tournament, and they got a three seed when they probably would have been, like, a seven if they had lost two games earlier. If they had lost to to Syracuse in the overtime game in that tournament, UConn – was probably a seven or an eight and they end up being a three and they got really rewarded where Kentucky really didn't get rewarded at all for making a good SEC tournament run. You know, I know the SEC is weak and whatnot, but like I think both of those teams are really undervalued. So I don't know if it, if you would have seen it differently if that was a you know a number five Kentucky versus a number six Yukon and more people were talking about A Kentucky playing well and B, you know, Yukon just put it all together and then had a, a you know a top five player in the country. So I think the seedings are kind of weird uh, this year, and, and they're you know, well-covered between Louisville and, and everything else that happened with with the seeding of the tournament. But the two teams that met at the end isn't so crazy. It's just crazy that they both happened to be there in the same year, which had never happened. I mean, there had never been a tournament that didn't feature a three-seater high or, or, or lower, I guess. And this year, you know, we, we didn't have either. We had seven and eight. So, I don't know. It was just one of those strange confluence of things. But... On an individual basis, UConn and Kentucky making it each didn't really surprise me, just the fact that they both made it.
2: So, I would I request question. John, after I read your, your piece, I, the thing that I was wondering was if instead of Kentucky and UConn, if like Creighton was a seven seed and I don't know, Washington was an eight seed and they made it to the final, would you feel better about it? if that was the case, or would that not make a difference?
1: See, I I, I don't think I did a good job in the piece of, of really defending it. Again, it came from a place of everyone knows I hate UConn. Most American fans at least don't like UConn. Um, but I, I have to think it wouldn't have made a difference to me. I mean, I... And I said to you, like, even if Syracuse is 7 or 8, yeah, I would have been thrilled that we won, but I wouldn't have sat there and went, we were the best team in uh, college basketball this year. And, I mean, Sean, I know, you know, you as a Giants fan, just like me, know that, like, it doesn't take away from the victory, the fact that you just happen to get hot at the right time of the season. But at the same time, you can't sit back and go, we were the best team in Sport X for the entire season. And I guess like the, the, there's a the confusion for me that what are we rewarding in, in the tournament? Are we rewarding the team that knows how to get hot for six games, or are we rewarding the best team in the country? and if we're rewarding the team that gets hot then fine, proceed as as we are but but if we're rewarding the team the best team in the country, um I'm starting to think that the tournament, because of parody and because of the fact that talent the, the talent pool is sort of spread. You know, to to many more teams than it used to be, that the tournament's current format is starting to outlive its usefulness.
2: Well, I guess I mean, I, and and I'll just say that um, you know, being the kind of person who enjoys chaos, uh, basically roots for sports, basically much like the Joker would. Um, I I like I love when this stuff happens. I love when number one seeds lose, when, especially when it's not my team um and and i think that's cool and and i I don't know if it necessarily happens as as much as um you know as as it happened this year obviously but you know you're right there there have been a lot more low seeds that are making it further but i i think you could chalk that up more to the fact that the mid-major programs are you know they're they're just while all the Bigger programs are kind of dealing with younger players and one and dones and two and duns and you know there's a lot more of that. The mid major programs are developing these guys and and all that stuff and I'm sure that has that plays into it as well. But I guess that you know ultimately the question is what like you're saying like what do you value the regular season more or do you value the playoffs more? Because this is a like you brought up the Giants when the Giants what they they were like nine and seven that season when they won the Super Bowl right.
1: Yeah, I mean the one season they were nine and seven, the other one ten and six. At no point yeah. during the regular season did you go the Giants are the best team out there.
2: No, and and I I remember, you know, when they won, I after mean, they were nine and seven, I, I don't think I said they're the best team in the league. You know, you play that play that that game, that matchup ten times. I don't know if the Giants win more than two or three times. Um but, you know, that's that's a playoff. That's the the that's the point. I mean, um you, and to be fair, I mean, I think I like to think of it as, and it, it's kind of weird, but really, when you think when when you really think of it, what it comes down to, because right now, and not just college basketball, but just about every sport except college football, you know, you know, they're changing it now. But um, ultimately, the regular season exists solely to seed you for the playoffs. When, when you really think about it, like as much as we put all of this. Um, emotion and all this weight into the regular season ultimately all it really is there to do is to say who gets seated where in the playoffs and then when you get to the playoffs then it's almost like that's the real season and it's that's not an idea that i think a lot of people would agree with or want to believe or want to agree with but it's kind of how i think if you look around you know the nhl this is i feel like this is an extremely clear uh thing that it really is like you have the regular season, and then the season really starts in the playoffs, and it just becomes another animal. And how you were seeded, that, that's what it was all about, trying to get the best matchups. And so, you know, for me, if we're watching the game, I it doesn't bother me when, you know, like when people are saying, you know, that the, the committee did a bad job seeding or all that stuff. It, ultimately you know everybody did what they did in the regular season and you ended up where you ended up in the tournament and now it's just up to you to win and you know even the year in 2003 I don't know if Syracuse was the best team in the country that year but it doesn't matter because they won the tournament and you know that's it and and so we when people look back they that's all they really care about nobody knows who was number 1 on the last week of the regular season um you know they just know who wins it at the end and so it's that I, to me. That's just kind of how how it is. That's where the weight is, and the only way to ha- not have it that way is to not have a playoff.
3: I think you brought up the uh, the NBA playoffs in your piece, John. If i or someone did maybe in the comments, but I think they probably do the best job of having both the tournament, but then also finding a way for the the best teams or at least a combination of best team overall and best team at the moment making it through um, but with the NCAAs I just think that as a I think it's more of a societal issue where we just don't give enough credit to the the you know the teams that were the best for a 35 game stretch as opposed to the one that's the best for the six game stretch like I almost feel like the soccer model is is more fair where the regular season championship is what really matters because that's the biggest uh, you know, set of data that you have to go on, and then you also have like a cup, uh, and you win that, and it's great. But for like, for, especially for college basketball, more than almost anything else, if you don't win the NCAA tournament, like no one cares. Like in Syracuse, we talk about like the AO year all the time, 2010, how good that team was. No one outside of the Syracuse fan base understands how good that team was, and we talked about it at nauseum every year. Like, what if? Uh, and, you know, we very well might have won the tournament if he had stayed healthy, but it just doesn't matter in college basketball if you don't win the tournament. And maybe that's more of the issue than the tournament itself, just the way that we as sports fans view it. Um, and I think part of the reason for that is that college basketball fan base is very segmented where there's just a giant portion of people who don't jump on board until, until March at all. Like They don't watch any regular season stuff, and then they watch – every minute of, of the postseason, which is just kind of strange to me. Um, but I think, I think just as, as, a, as a general sports fan base, we could do a better job of, you know, reflecting on, like, like look at Florida this year. That was an amazing team. They won 30, like, they won 30 games uh, when they were healthy. Like they were unbeatable all season. Obviously, UConn had their number in that one game and beat them earlier in the year when they weren't healthy. But, like, that shouldn't automatically take away from what they've done but instead, now this is like Billy Donovan's like fourth or fifth best team instead of what probably was his best team.
1: You bring up an interesting point there. I mean, the I think to be honest, I think the NBA
3: is the only league,
1: pro or college, in which you look back at very good to great regular season teams and go, "This was a legendary team." It's unfortunate they didn't get there. I mean. You know, Sean brought up the NHL, something that I avoided in the piece, but to be honest, like, that's the only only league, again, college or pro, that really has a clear separation that the type of hockey you play in the regular season has no bearing on the type of hockey you play in the playoffs. And I think, you know, NBA, again, like, you look at a team, if you go in in an NBA regular season, if you go 65 and 17, you're looked at as a fantastic team that should win it all. And if you don't, you're looked at as a squad that, just couldn't get it done. But, you know, what? you're also looked at with a certain amount of, uh, you know, reverence over time from your own fan base, I think in every other sport, you know, you look at the numbers, I think, I think no 15-1 NFL team has ever won the Super Bowl, which is insane. There's been like five or six 15-1 teams and none of them have ever, I think only one of them has even gotten there, like, which makes no sense. But, when you look at those teams and you say, failures, you don't, you don't look at those regular seasons as, as something special hockey, if a team finishes with 130 points in the standings, you don't look at that and go special if they don't win the cup. And and I think the same holds true for college football and college basketball and even baseball. The Mariners back in 2001, you know, set a wins record, lost to the Yankees in five games in the ALCS, and nobody even thinks about that team, despite the fact that they have the wins record. (laughs) So, I, I, I think I think, you know what, like, the NBA is its own animal there, and I think we need maybe, and myself included, might need to try and rethink, you know, how we, how we consider sports, because I mean, going back to the NFL comparison I brought up, even in the comments and Sean I brought up earlier, like, the Patriots are considered a great team for what they put together in 2007, but in the end, what do you remember—the fact that they started 18 and 0, or the fact that they lost the last game?
2: Yeah, I mean, I was going to bring up the Buffalo Bills. I mean who thinks of the Buffalo Bills between 90 and 94 and the first thing they think of isn't, like, losers or chokers when they were, you know, pound for pound, the best franchise in football for that stretch?
3: It also makes me, like, appreciate college football more because as badly as we all have wanted a playoff, and I'm not giving it up now that we have, a, you know, even the small one, like, a Syracuse team can go 7-6 and... Six and be largely irrelevant to most of the country, but we can still look back fondly on what Syracuse did this year and it's almost like every team, aside from like Alabama or the big, you know, teams that are in the national spotlight all the time, have like their own they're all like existing within their own little bubbles and the, the fan bases can appreciate them without having the championship aspirations um year in and year out. Uh and you know, obviously I think the playoffs makes it better because the BCS is stupid, but just the, the uh I guess when the sport is so inclusive or so uh like for such you know a small amount of teams in terms of determining a champion, it's almost like we've been trained to like not expect it so we can just appreciate a very good nine win team more than we would be able to a very good twenty eight win basketball team when sixty four teams can, you know, technically play for a championship.
2: Yeah, I mean I think the the danger is you don't want to run into like the Darren Rovell you know, factor or, or outlook, which is, you know, whenever, you know, he'll be the first one to tell you that because the Yankees aren't in the World Series that the ratings are down and, uh, you know, the networks are upset and all that stuff. And then it, it's almost like he's trying – it's that it's that thought process of, well, every year it should just be the Yankees versus the Cardinals or the Red Sox versus, you know, the Dodgers. and And then you get in this mindset of, like, well – they were the best team in the regular season, so they deserve to be in the championship game. Uh, and but you know that's that's the risk you run with the playoffs is you know you you were maybe you were a great regular season team, but uh, you know it, it's that that's kind of I think I think that's kind of the beauty of sports is that you you can you know like I was listening to um, Hang Up and Listen the podcast today, which was really great, and they were talking about. Um, They had Andy Glockner on, and he was talking about Fulham in in the EPL and how they're um, getting pretty close to being relegated. And, uh, you know, and so, you know, talking about how they're like an awful, awful team, but over the course of the next four games, they've got a chance to, um, you know, there are like four meaningful games, and it's almost like a weird playoff, uh, you know, uh, set up there, and then they were talking about, um, you know, the NCAA tournament and how all these statisticians, you know, people are looking at all the analytics guys like Ken Palm and um, five thirty eight and saying like, you guys suck, you got you totally got it wrong, you know, none of you predicted UConn versus Kentucky, but isn't that also kind of the cool thing about sports, that that can happen, you know, and, and so it- it's not that I disagree totally, you know, with um, with the idea that you you ultimately want to see great teams be great and you know prove themselves on that stage, but I guess it's just kind of the it's the risk you run of, by having a, a a system like that. And so um, you know I, I see all sides of it, and and I certainly think that um, you know I I might have been more interested in the game, I might have watched it if it was like Florida versus Arizona because I spent all season hearing about them. And how good they are, but the fact is they both lost, and so you know that, it's it's like you can take either side of that, and it makes sense so anyway, that's the end of my rambling.
1: fair enough. I was actually you know I, I think I actually got to the crux of a lot of what, what I wanted to talk about at least in the uh, article, and you know some of that was either not communicated by me or it just seemed like that tangent was just never approached in the comments um i think the the main you know crux of the comments was my small sample size which i continually pointed out was the point that we don't know yet but
2: um but but i think you're onto something with like there's definitely now we can point to i mean you could even go back to you know when butler made it you know even though butler i think was a five seed that first year um you know there's something going on in college basketball. I don't know if it's exactly, you know, because of the 68 teams that could play into it, but I, there's definitely something going on in college basketball that's worth delving into. Like, why are we seeing so many low seeds make it now? And so I think it's a cool conversation to have. Thanks, John. Appreciate the endorsement. There you go. Yeah, no, I I loved it. I, I, I love that. Uh, <laughs> and i love that on twitter you know because at first glance everybody assumes that i i write everything on the site and so <laughs> I, I i caught the initial brunt of it uh, but uh, but no i i think it's i i love having those discussions
3: let's get us into the off season which is now long uh it's a little off one today uh, unexpectedly because apparently cornell as i said on twitter uh, Cornell Lacrosse is pulling a Syracuse basketball and just going <laughs> to lose every game here on out. <laughs> and I wish I thought of
1: that. All right, well, why don't we talk some beer quick and then I think we jump to some lacrosse and maybe even some uh, some agenda setting before we get to uh, the spring game, which is still, you know, like a week and a half off or so, so we have time to talk about it next week, but at least chat about some, uh, some themes we're seeing. But, uh, beer... Sean, what have you been drinking lately? I know uh, I know you have a larger sample size than Dan and I to pull from.
2: Yeah, I um, I, I had th- I knew I was coming on today, so I'm like, oh god, I've got to think of something good. And I, I thought about going through double checking all the past podcasts to make sure that I wasn't stepping on anything. But I figured, you know what, I'm probably not. Um, but yeah, I mean, for for those who don't know, I'm I'm not really a big IPA fan. I'm not a um, not a fan of like the the real hoppy stuff, I'm, I'm, I'm more smooth. And so, uh, my, my beer of choice has been for a little while now, the, uh, fat tire from new Belgium. Uh, I, I kind of like a lot of their, their beers. And so that I, I really like, I think it's a, I think it's called 1552. Is that, does that sound Oh, uh, right? The
1: 1554. Uh,
2: 1554. Yeah. That was like my favorite for a while, but I can't find it anywhere. But, uh, so I kind of defaulted to the fat tire, which is an amber, Uh, so i've been doing that but uh if i can recommend a local that's out here i will recommend diamond knot brewery in muckle teo right across the ferry from uh whidbey island where i live they uh they're a craft brew and they've kind of just ramped up and uh are moving some stuff out and they've got a really good blonde that i like uh so it's diamond knot uh the blonde i don't know if it's Available anywhere outside of the Pacific Northwest, but uh, if you happen to find it and you like that, check it out.
1: i have to look into it. I was meaning to connect with you, Sean. I'm headed up to Vancouver and Seattle uh, first week in the college football season. Are you? Yeah. Excellent. In mean, the uh, you know, wife are doing a little belated one year anniversary trip, spend some time in Vancouver, and then headed down to your neck of the woods. So. We'll uh we'll be sure to connect off podcast on that.
2: Yes, we, we don't need to we don't need to go through <laughs> it here for, for all the listeners, but yeah, we will we definitely will. We'll we'll meet up for a nine AM football game and I'll show you how we do it out here.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. Um also, I know you mentioned New Belgium, I'm actually headed there um in May. So I'll be sure to share that on the podcast. My experience. I've heard from some people. A friend of mine lives in Boulder and he said that the New Belgium uh brewery tour was the best one you'd ever been on, so i have a I have high hopes for this one, yeah, they seem like a cool company Yeah. Dan Have it yourself what have you been drinking?
3: um nothing too exciting recently um I picked up a six pack of uh cisco Brewer's whale's tail pale ale uh, a couple maybe last week um I've been drinking a lot of uh especially like English pale ales recently they're from Nantucket um I was actually kind of disappointed by it. I don't know if I said a bad batch, but, like, it has, like, a weird aftertaste, and, I don't know, it just feels like something's not right. So I might try it again, because I've seen it in a lot of places, that I just never drank it. And I just feels like something's, like, off with it. So maybe don't take this as, like, an uh, anti-endorsement of them, because I think I might have just done, like, a weird sit-patch of it. Um, And then last night during the game, uh, I was just drinking uh, Dogfish 50-Minute, You know, solid standby, you know, trying to pretend like I wasn't watching Kentucky and UConn battle for a national championship, which was just dreadful. Um, But, yeah, nothing too crazy the last couple weeks. Hopefully uh, this weekend I'll get into some more things, maybe some springtime stuff, since it actually is, like, hitting the 50s and 60s now, as opposed to, like, the, you know, eight-month-long winter we've had here in the Northeast. So, I'm going to chuckle for a few because it was 80 degrees
1: today. Hello,
3: Los Angeles. Uh, (laughs) It snowed last week. It snowed like last, I think, Wednesday in the morning.
0: I feel like it's so
3: much different than being in Syracuse this winter in Sanity. It It rained all day day here, if you can believe it. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs)
1: I was down in Dallas, I felt like that guy. It was sitting at, like, 55, 60 degrees, and I was, like, shivering in a long sleeve shirt and jeans. It's like the, the the metamorphosis has finally occurred. I'm actually a Californian. I actually shiver. at temperature is hovering around 60. This is bad. Um, but, yeah, as per usual, when, uh, when Syracuse is losing and or not playing, or the Knicks are losing or... Any of the various awful teams that I root for are losing. Um, I end up drinking more, which is not healthy. Um, some things I've had recently. Uh, hop in the High seas, uh hop number 529 from uh, Cigar City Brewing, to IPA. Got it via trade. Um, we was spending some time at uh, the Raw and Sons Brewery down in Fort Worth when I was uh, in Texas. We got to check out... Um, couple of fun beers there. Uh, I'm going through untapped as we speak. Uh, they had their Storm Cloud IPA, which is actually pretty interesting. Uh, I really don't know how far it goes outside of Texas. I'm just playing that much. worth a to try. also had a Moda Taparanda from uh, Scott Brewing in Colorado. Uh, luckily, it was on tap at uh, a bar I'd been at, at uh, in Fort Worth. And some more local brews down in Texas. Uh, Mosaic IPA from Community, uh, for those who are in Texas, would highly recommend, as well as uh, Deep Ellum IPA from uh, Deep Ellum Brewing. I could go on, but we don't have a ton of time left. So, um, football spring practice. I know we've been hearing bits and pieces. Uh, Syracuse spring practices are kind of, you know, uh, kept real media free <laughs> largely. So uh, what do we think? Uh, Start with you, Sean. uh, Are there any undercover storylines that maybe it's something we should keep an eye on going into the game? I mean, obviously we know that the uniforms are being uh, unveiled. But uh, are there any players that you're really looking out for um, as as the guys are going to burst onto the team in the spring and just really carry that over into the fall?
2: Well, I mean, I'm excited by all of the things I'm reading about the – these ideas about offense and how we're going to be you know arguably moving at a pace or at least in theory we want to be moving at a pace that'll put us among the fastest offenses in the country so i'm intrigued by that um and it's actually made me realize how many how many quality players we have at you know kind of across the offense from wide receiver to running back to the h back to all that, um, you know, if, if Adonis, I mean, Moore is playing well, like we're hearing he is, you know, it'd be awesome to have, that, you know, him back in the toolbox and, um, you know, the wide receivers, I think are an up and coming group and the tight ends are apparently, uh, you know, a, a really up and coming group as well. I think the thing I'm most curious about, and um, by the time this podcast drops, I, there'll be an article up on the site, but we found out today that uh, Kyle Knapp has, uh has left the football team because of concussions that uh so his career is over which uh you know is a bummer for him but at least you know it's good to hear that he's taking care of it and taking care of himself but uh we were already hearing there was some issues with you know the offensive line in terms of injuries I don't know if this was part of that um but that sounds like really the 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 number one question mark of who's going to be the starting o line um, apparently they're they're working in uh, John Miller to be possibly to have him take over at center, so Rob Trudeau doesn't have to shift over and he can go back to his normal position. So it sounds like there's a lot of question marks there, and I'm I'm just curious to see. I don't know how much of that we'll see at the spring game. Um, you know, obviously it's going to be a big jumble with the offensive line, but I'm curious to see who's playing where, uh, who doesn't look like is you know going to be the starters, who's kind of up and coming and, and all that, and so that sounds like, at least for me right now, the biggest question mark offensively, and then, um, you know, on defense, I, I keep hearing a lot of different names, you know, it sounds like the coaches are really excited about uh, Marquez Hodge, um, uh, I, you know, a lot of those D-line guys, uh, Kroom and, um, you know, and uh, Raymond and all those guys, it, and Isaiah Johnson, It just everybody's battling and you know, one of those guys could really step up and make a difference. So I'm just interested to see who who's the, who emerges and um you know who kind of takes that Jay Bromley mantle and runs with it.
3: Dan how about yourself? Um I was also I was really bummed to hear about the Kyle Math news um because uh it just seems like this is becoming kind of a thing uh especially around Syracuse now. We already had Tyler Morona quit a couple months ago because of the same thing, Um, and unfortunately he never had to see the field at all. Nap played a little bit last year, but I thought Nap was going to be a really good player. Uh, I wrote about him in our offensive line spring preview. Um, He was starting at right guard uh, for the injured Nick Robinson, and I thought he had a real chance to be uh, a player there, if not this year, probably next year. Um, He was a pretty solid recruit for us back when he signed, so it's unfortunate. Just to hear anyone's career ending that way, and I don't know if it's that Syracuse is taking concussions more seriously than other programs or something, but you know you don't like to hear that multiple players have had to like quit their you know entire football career because of it. But I guess I'd rather have them be safe than like see something awful happen with a Syracuse player. So you know hopefully they'll, they'll press on. I think the the death issues at line are a bit disconcerting, but I feel like we have a lot of good players there. It's just getting everyone on the field and healthy. Um, the unit really progressed last year, and that's why I was kind of disappointed that we lost uh, Pat Pearls as line coach, um, and and Joe Adam has a, you know some pretty big question marks as he hasn't really coached that position much. Um, so that's that's probably the biggest question mark. Not because I don't think they'll be good. It's just that I don't know. I think I can see it swinging either way. Um, I'm very excited that we seem to be going back towards some of the things we were doing in 2012, but with like the the you know more uh, dual-threat quarterback with Hunt. Um. Obviously, Hunt really came on at the end of last year, and it's nice to see that uh, McDonald's, you know, making the playbook easier. That's a lot of what happened in 2012. I mean, we know we all know the story of, you know, they went up to to uh, to the I forget the name name of the military base now, um, upstate in the in you know the north country, and they just slashed the playbook in half like a week before the season, and that basically is why the offense was so good in 2012. And it's nice to see that McDonald is taking, you know, the couple things that he figured out last year and and what worked last year and combining them with what we saw worked so well in 2012 with running, you know, so many plays and being a, you know, top ten pace offense and and making things simple but then adding a lot of package plays in because I think those are the offenses that are, A, incredibly successful in college football now if you're not getting the blue chip recruits, and, B, um, they're exciting to watch. I mean, I think I think Patrick's plays are pretty brilliant, just the whole uh, concept of them, and they worked like a charm in 2012. So hopefully uh, he can work some of that Nate Hatchett magic and, and the offense will really be something to watch this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know, like, uh, my roommate and I, when we were in college, we're, we're sitting at the dome, which is mostly empty, um, and, and wondering why we didn't just recruit, you know, like track stars and guys who could run, like, sub 4 5 so that we could take advantage of our, you know, artificial turf, indoor surroundings, and I think we're actually kind of doing it. Um, I'm not going to say that George McDonald reads my, you know, kind of scathing reviews of the Office Play calling, but at the same time, as we saw at the end of last year, something changed, and and I'm actually pretty excited about um, you know, the more aggressive approach to play calling that we're uh, that we're going after now. Um, I think we have a, a ton, like as Sean alluded to, a ton of really, really great athletes, um, both at the running back position, wide uh, receiver positions. I think there's a lot of different formations we can go with. Um, and I've tried not to talk myself into this, but you know, they mentioned it was going through the schedules uh, nationally just to kind of get a glimpse of know where where the college football landscape's looking this year and I, I can easily plug myself into eight and four which is terrifying and, and exhilarating at the same time. So I'm curious to see how how the playbook gets opened up in, in spring practice and I have a feeling it's gonna be in a reserved way. Um, I'm curious to see how um, our new coaches kind of adjust and I'm also curious to see how McDonald responds. Um, I think, you know, George McDonald, while he did a great job on the recruiting trail, I would say that it, he left something to be desired um, in terms of play calling last year. Uh, and if he's, if he's really taking that kind of criticism to heart and, um, you know, looking to improve upon it, it, it seems like indications are it's working, but, but, but I definitely want to see it in action.
3: Agree, everyone. Yeah, this, I want football to start so bad, but we're not even all that close. (laughs) Long road ahead of us. Okay, Dan.
1: Dan, we're going to fill this space with what we did last year. We're actually going to talk about the other teams. Pretend that we're as expert at analyzing those teams as we are analyzing Syracuse push everybody through the entire offseason pretending
3: it doesn't exist, and then getting to kickoff. And make wild predictions about Duke that end up being, you know... Being completely true. <laughs> <laughs> I well, not even. Like, we, we, we undersold Duke.
1: Yeah, well, we might as well mark it down that Dan and I pegged Duke as a definite contender and also predicted Virginia's complete bottoming out last year. And before we even get to those podcasts this year, I'll say again that that Virginia is going to bottom out and finally find a way to to fire Mike London. Where there's a will, there's a way. (laughs) And where there's one less year to pay a buyout, there is is a desire (laughs) to fire. Anyway, uh, those are all topics for another podcast. Uh, I'd like to thank Sean and Dan for joining. Especially you, Sean. I know you have a busy schedule, and I appreciate you popping uh, on today.
2: Yeah, glad to do it. I hope, uh, hope to do it more often. And um, please, everybody, go to iTunes, rate and review the podcast. You are helping us more than you
1: realize. Exactly that. I'll be sure to... Uh, post the link, and call attention to it in all caps with exclamation points. Please, everyone, uh, make sure that you are following. Um, for Syracuse Sports Makes Me Drink here on the Troy News the Magician Podcast Network, I'm John Casillo. That was Sean and Dan. And uh, go Orange!